Maybe you just haven't seen it yet. You know how many people are looking for something and praying for something? And God is saying, not yet. You just have to hold on a little bit longer. You got to trust me because I'm God and I know what's best for you. I'm the un-Jesus. Remember the un-cola? Yeah, you remember that 7-Up, the un-cola? It's not like all other colas. This Jesus that I know is not like any other Jesus. There's a lot of Jesus being talked about today. And everybody wants to mimic the way it ought to be done and what it ought to look like, he, who he ought to be, what he should sound like, what we should sound like as a church and as a praise band and as a pastor. And God says, no, I got different plans because Jesus isn't like you think he is. And I'm over there thinking to myself, God, you have revealed to me through the years how desperately I need you. I'm desperate for you, God. So many people in the room even that really need Jesus. I shared this with the praise band before you guys all came. It was a note from a girl last evening to me. I won't say her name because she's probably here. And she said this, texting-wise. And if you could work on my mic, Zach, because I don't like the sound of this. You could play around with it. Hi, I was wondering if you could pray for me again. I've been feeling really sad lately, and I've been trying to feel better, but not much is working. And I thought maybe if I could get prayers, maybe everything will get better. I've been feeling sad because the kids at school keep bullying me and telling me that I'm worthless and that I should kill myself. And it gets to me. And at home, my dad doesn't think it's that big of a deal that I get told these things. And he doesn't believe in God, and he won't pray for me. So I was wondering if you would just pray for me. Thank you. There are so many people in that boat that just wish something would be different. And so they, they come to church, or maybe they search, they look for new friends, they go to school in hopes that something will change, and it doesn't seem to happen. I have a daughter who doesn't want to come to church anymore. She's married, and I was talking to her last night and saying, I really honestly believe that if you come back, things will get better. And she said, no, they'll get worse. And I said, no, they'll get better. Because when you put God first, and you really reach out to God and forget what everybody else says, things start to happen. See, because Jesus isn't who we think he is. He's the great divider. He has a way of dividing us and separating stuff out of our life and people out of our life and circumstances out of our lives. And he reaches down to us and says, I really care about you. My daughter is handicapped. We've never been able to figure out quite what it was until this week. She finally, after a lot of testing, found out this is what it is. And she was happy, and I said, now what do we do about it? They have no idea what to do. I can remember when she was in school in Hudsonville School System, taking her to school, and I had a red pickup truck in, and I dropped her off at the, the doors of the junior high school in Hudsonville. And there were some girls standing right there as you walked into the school, and they immediately started to mock her and call her a retard. And I just started crying 
I started sobbing to God. And I'm, I'm like, God, this isn't even fair. She didn't ask for that. That's who she is. And I drove away. I was crying so hard I could barely see to drive my vehicle. And I said, God, it's not fair. Life is not fair. It isn't. God never said it would be. I shared earlier that my brother and I grew up together in the same bedroom. We had twin beds. My dad was so cheap, it was always cold in there. We lived on a farm. The windows would always frost up. We had a lot of good times together. He flunked the third grade, and so we went all the way through school together, and he had decided ahead of me that he wanted to be a preacher. So we went off to Bible college together. He was across the hallway from me, and we'd share things all the time. We'd go home on the weekends. I was so bashful, and he would be the guy preaching like crazy, and my parents said, man, he's going to be a great preacher someday. Our sophomore year, he went home with his girlfriend. Her mom went to bed. She was a product of a single-parented home. Her mom went to bed. They had sex one time, and she got pregnant. And the Bible college kicked him out. He was done. So he, he married her. They had two girls together. They were doing quite well. In fact, my dad offered my brother and I both half of his business, which was probably worth a million dollars. My brother took it and was bragging to me as I was going to Bible college how I should quit and come home and take half of the business and I could be rich because he had a brand new van. He had a brand new Volkswagen bug for her. And he was all excited about all this stuff until one day he came home and she was in bed with another man. It destroyed him. It destroyed their home, it destroyed their daughters. If you look online today, to this very day, if you look online, you will see two daughters that grew up, the byproduct of somebody's choices that grew up not knowing God, not loving God, not believing that God is still amazingly loving. I haven't known them my whole life. Both of them had children out of wedlock. Both of them lived miserable lives. Excitement to them in Minnesota is going to the American Legion Club on the weekend and getting drunk. My brother never really forgave himself. Bible college didn't let him come back. He lived divorced, not interested in ever remarrying to find out that there might be love out there still for him. And he lived in the basement of an old lady's house for many, 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 many years and collected baseball cards. I have had very little to do with my family because they think I'm a kook because I said, no, I'm sticking with God. I won't make it. Won't make it without God. And this week, when I get discouraged, a lot of times I just think, God, why have you kept me? And I decided I should reach out to my brother. 
just a couple years ago, fell in love with a girl, had married her, and moved out to Arizona. I was so happy for him. We have no connection whatsoever, though. So I reached out to him this week, and he wrote me back a ton of stuff the night before last, and I didn't even realize everything he'd written to me, so I didn't respond. And I woke up, and he, at 1.40-something in the morning, he said, are you going to talk to me? I need you in my life. And I wrote him back and said, I'm so sorry. And he said, I've never really had any problems with you whatsoever. I don't know why, but we've, we've just never been close. Please be close to me, basically. God has brought him back into my life and me back into his life for a reason. And he, he wanted to talk, and he just wrote all kinds of stuff to me, I think, to myself. I can relate to people who don't fit, that are bullied, that are cast out, that feel like they don't belong in, in life, period. My message for today comes from my heart, from the depths of my heart, because I relate to the text. If you looked at Mark, or excuse me, if you looked at Mark chapter 7, you're going to have to kind of follow me up in the sound booth because I'm all over the place right now. You would find the story of Jesus needing a break. Unlike what we think about Jesus, the Bible doesn't say that he came to make peace. It says he came to cause disruption in your life and in your family. To sometimes set a brother against a brother and a sister against a sister and a, and a child against their parent or a parent against their child because that's life. He came for a specific reason. Luke 12 says, do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you, no, but rather division. You know if you're sitting in the room this morning, you know as well as I do that life is full of disruptions and divisions and hurt and pain. And sometimes it's so hard to figure out why. Matthew says this, do not assume that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be his own members of his own household. Many of us in this room can actually relate to this. Our households are divided, either through divorce or addictive behaviors or who knows what. Even the girl that texted me on the, on the phone last night that says, pray for me because people are bullying me, needs her father. But I can assure you this, her father is lost in a quagmire of his own grief and suffering. He can't even figure out how to make it himself. And so what do we do? We go on the run. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Not so that I can take my coat off, even though I'm going to. 
I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture in your mind, everybody, please do this. I want you to picture in your mind, I'm on page five for the zombies, in your mind, your picture of Jesus. Get a solid picture of what you think Jesus actually looks like. You can open your eyes. All right. Some follow-up questions. Did he have long, flourishing hair? Does he have a full beard? Was he by any chance wearing a white robe? Did he have a calm, serene look on his face? Was he surrounded by children or cute little farm animals like lambs and puppies and kittens? Because when we think of Jesus, we actually conjure this picture that was on the front of the Bible storybook that we were raised with. My earliest vision of who Jesus was was because my father would not go to church, forbade us to go to the Catholic church where my mom was raised, and so my mom decided with his permission to go to the little country Lutheran church. And my earliest pictures of who Jesus is was from the stories that we learned from the flanograph materials in church. And Jesus had this long flowing hair and he was this effeminate guy that just was peace to everybody and love to everybody. And while I believe that Jesus is love, I think that love takes many shapes and forms. How is it possible that someone could have to go through life with a handicap and think that God is fair? How is it possible that someone in your family could tragically be taken out of your life? How is that fair? I look back and my, my college years, my early years as a college-age person, and remember back to the Bible college that I went to was very, very, very conservative. You couldn't talk to girls before noon. You couldn't pass notes. There were so many rules. You got demerits for everything. That's where my brother and I went. And when it came to his sin, he had sex with a girl one time, and she got pregnant. And it changed the trajectory of his life forever. Is that fair? Really? I want you to rethink Jesus this morning. Rethink who Jesus really is. He's not mean. He's not hate-filled. He's not a gossip. He's not out to destroy. destroy. He doesn't call girls who are already struggling with issues ugly and retards and things like that. Jesus cares about us. He cares. He doesn't make us instantly pay for the sins that we commit in our lives, and he doesn't hold it over our head forever. He's loving. He's kind. And he knows us. My text is found in Mark chapter 7. I picked out these verses, just this section of the chapter for a reason. It says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. 
Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. So you have a picture here of Jesus being totally exhausted because if you went back and studied the chapters prior to that, you would find that Jesus had come from Galilee and he had left that area and now gone to a place that was completely opposite of Galilee where mostly Jews lived. And now he was going to Tyre. And Tyre was a place where they ate the food that the people in Galilee made because they were lower class people. I have to say that this about this. I pray to God that this church never becomes about class. Classes of people. Jesus did not come to change only the educated people. Only the good looking people. Only the certain classes of people. He came and knew that when he came, the majority of the people that would come to him were the ones that needed him. That's me. That's what's drawn you. I couldn't sleep last night. And I woke my wife, and I just said to her, I am thinking about my sermon for tomorrow. And I'm preaching how Jesus left Galilee and went to this other area, and he went there with a primary reason, because I think everyone needs this in their life. We have several people, like in Florida now or other places, my phone's going to do that the whole service, so just, it's like a special sound to make you feel good. Okay. Jesus, just like everyone else, he, he needed a break. So he went to Tyre because Tyre was a place where he didn't figure there would be as many people interested in following him because the majority of people that lived in Tyre were the, the Gentiles. They were the people that the Jews hated. The Gentiles weren't interested. And so Jesus had a plan down the road to go to the Gentile people, but not yet because it would it would hasten the Jews coming after him and crucifying him. So he went there to, to get rest. I leave tomorrow morning for Vietnam with five other guys now. One guy joined us this week. We were still able to get a ticket. I go there for a sabbatical too, not just to minister, but to be ministered to. And so you can picture Jesus. He goes to Tyre. He's exhausted. And I'm telling my wife this in the middle of the night. I said, what was interesting about Tyre, I found out as I was studying, was that it was the place where Jezebel lived. And Becky said, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Said, you understand the spirit of Jezebel? The spirit of Jezebel is evil. It's the place where Jezebel grew up. I got to say this. Where you live does make a difference. I was watching a special on Alaska recently, and I thought, it is so dark there, 
and so hedonistic and anti-God and far from God that alcoholism takes many, many lives. We all need light, don't we? We all need rest. We all need light. We all need a vacation. Jesus, just like us, needed rest, and he goes here, and this woman comes to him, and she has a special, a very specific need. It wasn't some physical illness. It wasn't about money. It was about her daughter who had a demon or demons. As I started to study, I thought to myself, we don't have demons these days. You notice? We don't have demons. Oh, that's not a demon. That's ADHD, whatever. There's a name for everything. It's not demons. She's just, oh, don't you know, she's just bipolar. It's by everything nowadays. It's like there are no demons. Why did she say her daughter had a demon? How did she know it was a demon? Because you can tell. Oh, yes, you can. You can tell when it's demonic. I, I, I put a card back there recently on the back table with some signs of demonic attack. If you're trying to follow me in the sound booth, give up. I'm, I'm going with what God tells me to tell you. Eight signs of a demonic attack. Lack of spiritual desire, number one. Number two, extreme frustration. Three, confusion about your purpose in life. Four, a lack of peace. Five, unusually sluggish, tired, and sick. Six, strong urge to quit. Seven, draw back, drawn back into your old bondages. Eight, questioning direction that was once very clear to you. All signs that you are probably under attack by the enemy. If you're a Christian, you wouldn't understand that anyway. You wouldn't even understand it. This woman knew that her daughter had demons. You know, you and I know this. You can look at something and see some children that are just constantly under attack by their behavior, by their response, by their addictions, by the way they address you, by the way they talk to you, by the people they want to hang with. Say, well, you can't run around judging your own kids and you can't run around judging other people. The Bible says that I am to be a fruit inspector. You know how you know that someone's walking with God? Because they have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, and self-control. We are living in a generation of out-of-control people. Yes, it is extremely quiet in here. Satan, you're not welcome. Get out. You with me? Oh, that's right, Vince is on vacation. Oh, God. No wonder. Vince is gone. There's nobody to scream, yeah. And he gets all of you excited. My wife got up in the middle of the night last night. She ran in the kitchen and said, I got stuff about the Jezebel spirit. There are a lot of people in here that have the Jezebel spirit. 
It's a controlling spirit. You always have to be in control. You can't stand it when you're not in control. It is a sexual, sensual spirit. That's what Jezebel was. Sexually minded, your mind is constantly going to dirty thoughts. Nobody wants to preach this anymore because nobody wants to come to hear it. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to hear the fact that the reason we have the problems we do in our nation, which my brother, by the way, addressed and said, our nation's gone down the toilet. What are we going to do? And I'm thinking, God doesn't make mistakes. He knows exactly where we're at. Does he not, people? He doesn't make, he says, I'm, you probably can't say a word at church. And I said, you really don't know me. <laughs> right? I had a pretty powerful video I was going to show you, and I backed away from that one this morning. Um, I'm not worried about getting attacked. I'm worried about whether people will actually accept this and understand that we are being attacked on a daily basis by the enemy. We are forgetting that the enemy is stomped out, defeated, finished, done for. Don't give in. Don't go back to your old ways. I appreciated what my wife said in the car last night about you, Jared, and Jessica. Said that Jessica actually told her that this Christmas was different because it was the first one that you weren't drunk and you actually thought of her and bought her a present. That's what God's doing. That's what God's doing. That's the sign that God's in a, work, in a, in a church. Not how many yuppie people are there. Not, my, not how fancy the buildings are. Not how many other churches, campuses they have. That's not a sign that God is there. A sign that God is there is that this week, another college-age girl accepted Christ. And I am. And by the way, I... You say, well, you shouldn't even be keeping record. That's so stupid. That blah, 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 blah. I think, you think God's not keeping records? You think the devil's not keeping records? He's not very happy that the gospel is being preached. He's not happy when you decide to get off that path and get on this path over here, the one that follows God. Not happy at all. Jesus goes to Tyre for a break, and he enters the house, it says in verse 24, and it says he did not want anyone to know it. I find this interesting. I find it very interesting that even Jesus needed a break. And so he goes to this house hoping that no one would even know he was there, thinking, I need a break, I need a vacation, I'm just exhausted, I fed the 5,000, I just healed some people, I just need a break. And there's a lady there who is not about to give up on her daughter. Hallelujah, praise you, Jesus. I'm not giving up. My wife and I are not giving up. Take notice, Satan, we're not giving up. It's never too late for God to work, is it? It's never too late. Some of you have thrown in the towel too early. No, he'll never get saved. Yes, he will if you keep praying. It's never too late. My friend over here got saved. Nancy Reed got saved last Sunday. Stand up a second. Oh, you didn't expect this. Can you stand up or will you fall from fear? I want you to stand up. She accepted Christ last Sunday. 
How old are you? How old are you? Come on, Nancy. We get to a certain age, it doesn't matter anymore. She's 77 and, and said she needed to get saved and did it of her own free will. Three people accepted Christ that week and I didn't last week and I didn't see any of them raise their hand, but they did it. You think that doesn't make the devil mad? He thought he had Nancy. He didn't. He thought he had her, but he didn't. You never give up. And I'm going to just throw this out there. Everybody in this room has to be saved or you're not going to heaven. You are going immediately to hell. Is God mean? No. God is God. God's offering you an opportunity right now and you're turning and rejecting it and saying, no, I don't want it. I, I got my own way figured out. Then don't say that God is not fair. He went on a vacation, hoped to go to Tyre, but the spirit of Jezebel was in that city. Spirit of Jezebel was in that city, and the spirit of Jezebel had this girl in demonic activity. I can promise you right now I have enough experience with being in the presence of demons to know they will kill. Oh, yes, they will. They will kill you. And preachers would say, you shouldn't even say that. It will scare people. You should be scared. I should be scared. You have no idea what you let into your world when you step away from God. You don't even have to flip channels very far anymore to know that the devil is on TV constantly bombarding us with demonic garbage. Have you ever sat there and, and been turning channels and a channel came up and it was demon stuff? You say, oh, this is, this is no big deal. This is just, a, you know, just, it is a big deal. Those demons will come right through that set into your home. They jump. They jump from one person to another. How do you know if you have them? How do you know if they're affecting your life? You know, you know, you laugh right now. You think it's a big joke, that this is a big joke, that I just choose to do this because I'm just trying to get you all emotional. It's not a joke. It's a reality that Satan is real, and so are a third of the angels of heaven that fell and helped him to take people to hell. Jesus responded. This woman comes to him and says, you got, you got to, I mean, she got down on her knees, and she said, Jesus, you got to help me. Lady, lady, it's late. I'm just exhausted. Jesus, you gotta, you got to help me. My daughter's got demons. I don't know what to do. I'm so sad. It's horrible to live with this. Jesus, you got to help me. And he responds by saying in verse 27, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. In an age of political correctness, you would never ever call somebody a dog. And if you look at the actual Greek to find out what the words actually meant, it was referring not to a big bulldog type dog. It was referring to a little dog like we have at our house, a little barking dog. You're a nobody. My wife loves that dog. That's her friend. I love antagonizing that dog. 
Oh, it's just weird. Yesterday, just we were messing around, the three of us, Josiah, Becky, and I, and Becky grabbed um, Bella, her name is. Becky grabbed her, and she bit Becky on the cheek. <laughs> I think she meant to bite me or Josiah, and Becky got it. <laughs> She's not a biting type dog. Here's the deal. Jesus wasn't trying to get the lady mad. He was trying to make a point to all of us. He had a very specific mission that he was focused on. It was to bring the gospel to the Jews, to his people. He had not yet opened that up to the Gentiles, and she is a pagan Gentile woman, and she comes and he says this to her, let the children be fed first. Let the children of Israel be fed first, for it is not fair to take what belongs to them and throw it to the dogs. Throw it down to the dogs. It's not fair. I got to do what I came for. I know you need my time, but I have to do what God has called me to do. And I'm, I'm pretty sure about this this morning. I'm pretty sure of something. I'm pretty sure this woman was absolutely desperate. You're probably not going to God if you're not desperate. You're most likely not going to God if you're not desperate. You ever feel desperate? Come on, seriously, ever feel desperate? Night before last, I couldn't sleep. I just felt like, I don't know, God. I keep fighting with you. If I can continue to do ministry, I, I, don't, I don't think I can take everything that it, it involves. And I really didn't know what to do. I woke up and I called my son-in-law, Nick, and said, can I just come over? Can I just come and talk to you? He said, sure. I went over there. We talked for about an hour and a half, and I thought, I can make it. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. We need each other. We need the body of Christ. We need to love each other. We need to support each other. And I believe with all my heart that this lady was so desperate, she did not know where to turn. And God puts us in desperate situations so that we will desperately need him. And I think this is what she said in Mark 7, verse 28, this is what came back at Jesus. Fine, you can call me a dog, but even dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. Even dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. In other words, do what you got to do, Jesus, but give me something. That's what desperate is. Give me something. A man came in this week. We were having staff meeting. The four of us are sitting there for staff meeting. A man who goes to our church is very, very sick. And he came in the door and he just looked, he just like was going to fall apart. And he got real emotional and he was going to leave. And I said, no, get over here, right here. Come right here in this chair right next to me. I put my hand on his shoulder. Honestly, honestly, this is the truth. I just felt demons saying, get your hand off of me. I just started praying over him. Prayer works. Prayer works. You about, hey, ma'am, you have about given up on something about your husband or your kids. Husband, you about given up on your wife or your kids or your whatever your need is. Whatever you think. And this lady says to him, I'm not giving up. Jesus, I know who you are. 
I know you care, and I've come, I've come specifically. I know I'm bugging you, but I'm going to keep bugging you until you answer my prayer. Even the, do- you know, even the dogs get the crumbs. Can you throw me something? We'd like to say that that was the end of the thing. We'd like literally that everybody lives happily ever after, and that was the end. But it wasn't. No, it wasn't at all. This picture that we have of Jesus doesn't really do justice to the man that he is. He is deity. He's all God and he's all man. That's the strangest thing about God, about Jesus in the flesh. He's all God with all that power, but did not use that for himself. He's all God and he's all man and he loves us and he's compassionate and he's experienced. He he gets annoyed. He gets overwhelmed. He gets tired just like we do. And we have this picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have this picture of him. It's the come to me all you that are weary type of Jesus. We don't see the Jesus that is go away all of you because I'm weary. Even Jesus got weary. Even Jesus got tired. Even Jesus at times felt like I just totally need a break. And we don't picture that because we are not in desperation. We're not in a point where we absolutely need God. Now, this lady had a choice. She could either leave, give up like many of us have done. I've prayed long enough. It's not going to work. My wife and I take this approach. We will pray until we break through. We're going to pray until we break through. Aren't we, honey? We're going to pray and we're going to cry and we're going to sow in tears until we break through. Why are you giving up? Why have you given up? Is it because you have this concept of God that he's some passive Jesus that comes and doesn't really care about us? This Jesus actually cares. He cares about me. And we get offended about everything, don't we? She could have walked out of there and said, that guy is a jerk. He referred to me as a dog. I found a little video about getting offended. I've been having life-changing results since I learned how to get offended. Now, when people don't see things the way that I see them, I just get offended. And it teaches them how not to see things from their point of view. I'm offended that you would think you have the right to post that to your Facebook account. People have every right to see things from their perspective, as long as their perspective is the same as my perspective. Here's a water for you. I don't drink out of plastic. Why would you not know that? People who don't get offended are insecure, take no self-responsibility, and have no sense of purpose in life. I pray for them. JP, I don't even know why you're offended. I'm offended that you don't know how you offended me. JP, I wanted to uh, thank you and show my gift of appreciation by giving you my book because I know you, you need it, right? You're just assuming that I know how to read? There's three easy steps to getting offended by anything. Step one, listen to what someone says and then selflessly make it all about you by taking it personally, even if it has nothing to do with you. I really want you to have a great life. 
You're assuming my life isn't good enough the way it is? How dare you? Step two, you want to create a large amount of tension inside your body. You really want to concentrate on bringing the tension to your stomach, your chest, and your face. How are you doing today, JP? I'm offended that you would have to ask. Step three, now project outrage onto the other person. This will make it seem like you're getting rid of the tension inside your body, but it actually drives it down deeper inside you. And because it stays there, it'll make it even easier for you to get offended next time. I'm offended that you would wear that shirt. I'm actually a little offended by that. I'm offended that you're offended by that. Since I've learned how to get offended, I bring huge amounts of joy to everyone in my life. People feel like they're free to just be themselves when they're around me. I'm just happy I can make such a big difference in the world. I think she's a pretty attractive woman. I'm offended that you would think I'm attracted to women. Aren't you attracted to women? Yeah, but you have no right to just assume that. I'm offended that you don't have my new book yet. It's laughable, but true, right? We can't assume that because you have a male body that you are a male. We can't assume that because you have a female body that that's what you should be. People, I'm honestly convinced we are so far gone that it's going to take an act of God to turn things around. We are in trouble as a people and as a nation, and the biggest reason is because nobody is sharing the gospel anymore and no one's coming to Christ. When that starts to happen, it revolutionizes a community, revolutionizes a people group and a government. When Christ becomes the Lord of your life, everything changes. This lady had four strikes against her off the bat. Number one was this. A Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile woman, did not have equal rights with men. Number two. Jews had no time for Gentiles. Number three, she was a pagan. And number four, she was bothering Jesus who was there for arrest. She had all of that working against her, and yet she did not stop. You have had something that you've been praying for, but you've pretty much given up. Or you've assumed that it's not going to change. You've already just thrown the towel in on that and saying, I'm not going to Jesus anymore about this. And you've, you've given up and God is saying, no, 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 no. Even a pagan Syrophoenician woman knew to keep asking Jesus, why have you given up? Jesus never fails. No matter how you look at him or how you envision him or see him, he is still God and knows everything. Does he know about your needs this morning? Does he know about your hurts this morning? Jesus basically said, I'm here. I want to rest. And then he said this in verse 27. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is right, not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Why? Because he didn't want to rush what was coming to him, which was death. He had a purpose. I'm going to flip all the way to the end of my message because I want to make sure you understand something and have time 
pursue this. After she wouldn't give up on Jesus, he blessed her. It says in Genesis that Jacob, when he came to God and wanted God's blessing on his life, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It is like the woman who was following Jesus that had an issue of blood in the Gospels, and she knew that if she could even get to touch the hem of his garment, she could be healed. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed God so bad, and all of a sudden you knew that there was a breakthrough? Yes or no? That I've prayed about this, and God, you are bringing a breakthrough in my life, and I can see something happening right now. And this is how Jesus responded to her when he realized she's down on the floor underneath the table begging for crumbs. He looks down and he says to her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And then we read this. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. It's time to clean house. It is time to clean house. It is time for us to understand God and understand who Jesus is and how he operates. Jesus loves answering your prayers, but he wants you to pray. He loves performing miracles, but he wants you to believe. You've given up. You've thrown in the towel. You think this thing is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. You know it. And so in thus doing, you've allowed demons to, to win. You've allowed them to just have the victory. And you live day in and day out defeated. And God says, I don't want you defeated. I want you to see that I have defeated the enemy. It's over for him. Are you with me? I don't think so. I think we are caught in such a quagmire of um, a mentality that nothing's going to change. I'm going to be sick my whole life. I'm going to be single my whole life. I'm going to be in a marriage my whole life that is unsatisfying, unhappy. My, my partner's never going to get saved. My kids are never going to change. We're not, my financial situation is never going to turn around. We live in that state and go in and out of church with nothing happening. God wants you to realize today he wants to do something. He's up to something. He's up to something. Yeah, he's up to something. I'm just curious how many parents are like my wife and I who have someone in your family who you are praying for that knows what's right but is not doing that. Raise your hand. A lot. You don't need to raise your hand on this one because I already know the answer is going to be a lot. How many people are in a marriage situation that is not good? It's not good. It's deteriorated. It's, it's actually crumbling, and you don't know what to do. You may be in a situation where your spouse is not interested in spiritual things. Or you may be in a situation where there's bitterness in your home and you just can't get through it. Or you may be in a situation where you actually know there are demons in your house. Let me just say this. Identify with this. 
If there's addictive behaviors in your house, they're attached to demons. Yes, they are. Demons bring those into your house. If there's foul language in your house, it's attached to demons. If there's dirty sexual stuff in your house, it's attached to demons. And I would say this. First thing you ought to do right off the bat is find, figure out whether you are really saved or not. Because how do you continue in that sin and just slap God in the face? You've given up. The Spirit of God's already said to me today, there are people in the room who've given up. You've given up on a situation that God says you should not give up on. 